0: Right, the subject uh, now is following on from what David Woods was talking to us about, the last two lords, is the subject of saving your souls. And we're looking at now, still in James chapter 1, and from verse 19 through to the end of the chapter. So shall we just read that together, first of all? So it's James chapter 1, from verse 19 through to 27. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. David was talking to us last week about the importance of being able to differentiate and understand the difference between trials and temptations. One of the things that we are constantly encountering in this world is the trials and the temptations. That lead to sin. Trials are given to us, as David was explaining last week. Sometimes for our good. They are uh, a sense in which we are maturing as Christians, and the trials that we go through, and the many, many Christians, of course, through their trials are stronger and deeper thinking and more Christ-like, as they come out of it. And so, therefore, there's benefit from it. But the danger, of course, is that these trials become temptations. And we succumb to the temptations, which leads to sin. And then to sin leads to spiritual death. And therefore, that is something that we have to be very aware of. Now, what we're going on to look at now is the the soul. We're asked in verse 19 to lead a quiet life. What does that mean in that relationship then? It means that the way that we should live is not a boisterous, uh, uh, self-promoting type of life, but one in quietness where it's more important to listen than to speak. You might say, well, what am I doing up here? (laughs) Why am I not listening as well? Well, we listen in many ways. We listen, and mainly to God speaking to us. And we need to be a people, a people who are Christians, who listen to God speaking. And we need to be able to know when God's speaking. And it's not just something that's coming from our innermost being. It's coming from our sinful nature. And therefore we should be able to differentiate between what's of God and what's of us. Many of us have difficulty in being able to differentiate that because maybe we're being deceitful of ourselves that sometimes that we think that things that we want, we say, well, God's given it to us. Uh, God's given us this money so therefore he wants us to use it and enjoy the things that he's put on this world when really if we were more honest with ourselves it's just the the lust of the flesh so I think we have to be careful that we are able to see the purity that what God gives is pure so we have to be very sure that what, what we have been given and what god is wanting us to enjoy in this world is clearly from him and not just us wanting things for ourselves so this um um, the necessity of being able to be still and know that i am god to be able to wait on god to be able to be quiet in other words the need for meditation and this is where i think this is coming from is saying that Be slow to speak. Uh, It it involves our relationship with one another. Sometimes we are just too quick in our answers and and we go away and regret it. And that can affect our relationship and that brings in um, temptations and sin and it causes division and we have trouble. Just being a little bit more uh, sensitive, a little bit more... um, waiting and thinking before we act this is really basic stuff if you like this is what we should all be learning in a basic way i wanted really just to maybe kick off mainly because obviously the main theme of what i'm trying to put across is to try and generate some discussion for next sunday night is that if there are things that i'm saying here that you don't agree with or you don't understand then hopefully next sunday night is the opportunity for you to come back and either get me to clarify it or challenge me on um, anything that's said on verse uh, 20 21 just read it again it says therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility Receive the word implanted, or the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Quite a difficult verse, maybe just if you read it on its own as to exactly what it means. But I just want you want to home in on the implanted word. What is that? I think, you know, James here is is talking to us about something, I think, It is extremely important in us getting a grasp of as to what this implanted word means. Remember, this is being written to Christians. This is uh, people, this is uh, not people unsaved here. This is saved people that are being addressed in this letter. And whilst it is perfectly um, possible for people, to reject (laughs) salvation, as many people do. This is being addressed to people who have accepted salvation. Now, this is being directed at people who may neglect salvation. There's a difference. The big difference, of course, being that this is for born-again believers, and that's each one of us here. Born-again believers can neglect salvation so when it talks here about the implanted word the the expression that's used implanted definitely means being rooted that the word is something that is divine the word is christ because we read that in john chapter one that the word became flesh so when it talks about the implanted word it's talking about christ getting into your soul your innermost being And it's not just something that's put there divinely. God does it. He puts the word in your soul. And it has to take root because it's implanted. So what is this? This is the truth. This is the word of God. This is the responsibility uh, of each one of us to be able to take the word of God and to possess it and to have it indwell us so that Christ is in our hearts is another expression the word of truth if that's divinely put in our souls then what is our responsibility in this and how do we respond to this a lot of us hide behind um, teachers And say, well, you know, we we can listen to to men and women who are able to discern the word, who are able to interpret the word, and we become listeners. And there's many listeners who enjoy other people sort of interpreting the scriptures and telling us what they mean. And we become lazy. Because we, li- we just listen. What James is telling us here, that's not enough. We have to be doers of the word. And I think the doers of the word, and this is something we can debate, it's not just being busy. We can all hear the expression, we can all be busy fools. We can all keep ourselves busy doing things that, we, that just keep our hands working are our feet moving but talking about being doers of the word means that there's I think there's a responsibility on us reading the word of God and accepting that God implants the word in our soul, in our innermost being and therefore why would we not let it take root why would we not be able to understand it it's not us. I often think about my father as a typical example because he was a, what would be loosely classified today as an uneducated man. He left school at 14, and the only certificate he got was for attendance, I think. And I think that was for it. <laughs> but he, uh, he was not educated, and yet typical of maybe many if you call them working class, uneducated people at that time, he grew into a man who could interpret the Scriptures. Now, how was that? It wasn't an outward thing. It wasn't education. It was something that was God-given, that it was the implanted word that was put in his soul, and it took root. And so, when he read the word, God gave him the understanding. And it's not just him, there were many like him, and there are many like him, that there is no excuse for any of us not to understand the Scriptures. Of course, that doesn't mean that you, you, there's not things that you can come up against and think, well, I don't understand that. Okay, that, that happens to everybody. But the depth and the, the growth and the understanding comes from God, it's divine so it will be given if we ask for it it's implanted and therefore it's important for us to be able to save our souls what does that mean? we're not talking about salvation here we're talking about our Christian lives and our souls our life the main part of us it's As David was talking last week about the first fruits, that this is what God wants from us, that we are first fruits, because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again and He's coming back to collect the first fruits. In order to be first fruits, we have to be fruit giving, fruit developers. We need to be providing fruit. So therefore, we need to be doers. If we're just hearers we're not producing fruit fruit comes in many different ways but the, the main thing I think is being Christ-like if we take Christ as the ultimate example which we should do in every aspect of our lives and we look at the perfect man that there was just fruit coming out of him in everything that he did all his thoughts all his words all his actions were well-pleasing to his Father. And that should be our motivation. That's our goal. We follow that man. And that's fruit. Fruit is what being being Christ-like is producing obedience to God. It's producing Christ-likeness. It's producing an attraction to other people that makes them want what we've got. If people are not looking at us thinking, hey, I want some of that, there's something wrong with us. We're not living the lives or acting the way that we should. So what is our action in this? Well, to save our souls means really in our Christian life that we are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day. And we could end up at the end of that with absolutely nothing. In other words, our souls have been cast away. And as much as what we have done for Christ, the saving of our souls, we have been lost. That our lives, our work that we have done from the point that we accepted Christ as our saviour gets burned up, we still enter heaven. But we've nothing to show for our lives. And I think this is what it's talking about there for the saved salvation of our souls it's talking about saving it for god because that's all that matters that's all that's important we can do lots of things for ourselves but that doesn't i'm going to say it doesn't interest god everything interests god but i mean when it comes to the the saving of your soul when it comes to your life that's going to be opened up at the judgment seat of christ and you say what did you do for me Where is the gold, the silver, and the precious stones? That's what matters. That is what your worth is. And if we've just been hearers of the word, there'll be nothing there But we didn't do anything. And doing in the expression of our Christian lives. So what is our part in this? Well, we should all lay aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and in humility receive the implanted word. That sounds maybe pretty harsh. You might <laughs> think, what do you mean, you're accusing me of being filthy? Well, we are all filthy. And if we compare ourselves with God, that filth looks even worse. We compare ourselves with each other's bad enough. We look at righteous people when we feel I wish I was like him or her Uh, and we feel a bit dirty and say that you know I wish I didn't have this so much of the world engrossed in, in following my life but then if we look at Christ we look at the holiness of almighty God then this doesn't seem so harsh we are filthy We are sinful beings and although we have been saved from the um, consequences of sin you see unfortunately we still have to live in a sinful world we are sin we are still sinful in nature and therefore we have to work at that to make sure it doesn't enclose so much that we become dead souls So we have to be actively involved in getting this. Hebrews 2 and 3 says, How shall we escape such a great salvation? I mean, we have got to remember that if you go back to the Lord's dealings with the Old Testament people, that they didn't escape. They were given the law, and the law had consequences. If you didn't do the things in the law, there were consequences. It's the same today. Although we live in a day of grace, we don't live in a day of law, but we are expected to live holy lives. We are expected to try to be Christ-like because we are going to be judged and there are going to be consequences in us not doing these things. And I think we have to accept that there were consequences for the Israelites if they didn't do what God said. And God was, was wanting them because he loved them. To go down a particular route that he knew would help them, would bless them, and would uh, develop them as a nation, but they kept going off on their own. And the consequences we read about it all in the Old Testament time and time again, it's not diff- any different for the people of God today. This uh, implanted word that's rooted in the soul not just from what we have heard but it becomes what we are and I think you know that we've got to get out of the thinking of this body and our lives here because eternity is a massive thing it's hard to get your head around it but we're only here for a short time but it's important that in that short time <coughs> it's going to determine the future because At the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be very varying different Christians going into eternity based on what they did here. So it can't be dismissed as some would have it and say, I'm saved anyway, I'm going to heaven anyway. Um, Really why beat yourself up about trying to live anything too difficult a life here? Because. The implanted word of God is saying, well, I want you to be like my son. I want you to be like Christ. I want you to produce fruit. I want you to go into the eternity being blessed. I want you to be alive unto me. And you have to do that now. You have to be alive to Christ. You have to be a soul that's living and active and producing fruit. The word... It's divine, and it means that we need to be doers. Now, it goes on here to talk about if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, that he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. <clears throat> For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. I don't know whether... When you read that, that immediately paints a picture, I had to read that a few times just to be able to uh, understand that. I think what that means is the importance of us recognising just who we are and what we are. You can look in the mirror and you see what comes back at you and you don't like it. or you go away and try and forget about it <laughs> or you can try and do something about it what is it that you see when you look at yourself when you look at your innermost being and I think what it is saying there's two things well, one um, you can see that you are a person who is in Christ and that is joyful thing that you look at yourself and you say I am saved by the blood of the Lamb I am redeemed, I have an eternity in heaven, therefore I like what I see, for that I am alive. But there's a sense in also, because of what it's just been saying in the previous verses, that we need to also look and see the filth. We do need to see the sin, and we need to compare with Christ, because that gives us something to work on. He, you can walk away and say I don't want to see that we need to constantly be asking ourselves are we righteous, are we living godly lives are we, how are we comparing with Christ you know I think it's important also to think back that you think when God created this world why did he put a tree, the tree of knowledge and good and evil in the garden of Eden you think if you hadn't put that there I wouldn't have been on this problem <laughs> he put it there I believe again it's something we can discuss it's because in order to be good you need to know evil how do you know good if you don't have evil you have nothing to compare with when God created this world he puts the evil there and he said don't touch that but you need to see it and is that not what we are really being asked to do today? We are saved by grace. You need to see the evil. You need to know what, what's going on around you. You need to see where the temptations are. Because <clears throat> that's the trial. You're going to constantly be trialled because of sin. And through the trials becomes a temptation. And you're able to balance, do I want this or not? When the Lord Jesus Christ was here, you're seeing perfection growing in the middle of sin, which is the opposite of Garden of Eden. Um, but because of what had happened in the Garden of Eden, the world becomes full of filth and sin, and out of that comes Christ in all his perfection. He's not tarnished, He's not contaminated in any way all the way right up to his offering at calvary and he sees all around him sin and how does that affect him it affects him that he just oozes with love and he's desirous as we thought this morning to eat the passover for the last time so that he can then go to the cross and deal with this sin Such was his love, because he saw the sin around him. It's like, why did Jesus weep at at the tomb of Lazarus? Well, because he saw the sin. He saw the effects of sin. The effects of sin is death. That was physical death. But he saw the effects of spiritual death all around him. And that's what we see. We need to be looking all the time at the effects of spiritual death. So that we're going to react to that that we are able to see it and then be doers to make sure that we are constantly aligning ourselves to christ and not falling down we all fall down but picking ourselves up and getting back aligned there's always profit and loss i think if we time, let's um, just turn to Matthew, Matthew 16 <coughs> which is a a help I think in this profit and loss bit uh, Matthew, Matthew 16 and again about the cost of being a disciple and it was the Lord Jesus Christ talking to his disciples after he would uh, foretold his death and in verse 24 that Jesus said to his disciples if anyone wishes to come after me Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whatever, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? (coughs) For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense every man according to his deeds that's talking about your Christian life that's talking about your soul that's now alive that belongs to God how can you forfeit that well it's easy you just live your life for yourself that's how you forfeit it you can gain the whole world but if you've done nothing in your life for God, as I've said, when it comes to recompense, there'll be nothing there. You've had it. <laughs> you've lived your life for yourself. But at the end of it, it, you don't take it with you. And that's what I was trying to really just get across the importance of realising that, you know, our life is such a short time here. We're talking about eternity And what we're doing here affects eternity. And therefore, you know, living for yourself really is something that we should kick into touch. Um, Because eternity, surely, if you think about it, is a lot longer than our lives here. We need to have obedience. That's what God is looking for, is uh, obedience for him. And that's how we're going to be judged. Just going on in the last 10 minutes or so, looking at the, the latter part of this uh, chapter now, or this section that we're looking at, in verse 25, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, And abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This person shall be blessed in what he does. I think the, talking there about the, the law of Moses, here we are talking about the law of liberty. I, I think we tend to get, think about laws as things that we shun, we dislike because they make us do things that we don't want to do and that laws are always a problem but when he talks about the law of liberty again if we're looking at what that means and how that, what that looks like again we just focus on Christ because he was the law of liberty in action everything he did he was free he was at liberty because all he did was to please his father. He had no restrictions. He wasn't concerned about his family. He wasn't concerned about his nation where he was born. He, these were no restrictions for him. He crossed boundaries in his life. He was free. He was at liberty. It's referred to as a perfect law. Why would we not want a perfect law? What is a perfect law? We don't. We, we look at laws and nations and we pick holes in it. And of course, there's, there's people that are trained to do that. Um, and that there's not such a thing as a perfect law. Here there is. That the law of liberty is a perfect law. <coughs> and we need to look intently at it. We fix it. We view it. And it's not a demand-making uh us restricted, it's giving us liberty. We often talk that because of uh, our salvation, we're free, but then we act as if, oh, it, you know, in the church, there's all these rules, there's all these laws, there's all these difficulties, are the things I don't agree with. The, the law of liberty, again, is going back to the implanted word, is that if we think that the churches of God are too restrictive. If there are things going on in the churches of God that you don't like, or that you think ought to be different, then there's a liberty that's been given us by God as to, well, what does the word of God say? Why do we do these things? And what does God say? How do we align ourselves to the scriptures? And that's incumbent on all of us, whatever um role you have to play in the churches of God in the house of God is that wherever you you're challenging something well go to the scriptures about it, go to the implanted word, go to Christ and ask for revelation on it, and therefore and, and we can discuss this together in order that we have that liberty of saying well, we want to be obedient and that's our main focus is that we want to be obedient to our god in heaven and if we're doing anything that you can point to in scripture that it means that we are being disobedient then we got to act on that because we're going to be accountable we are going to stand before the lord and he's going to say i implanted my word in your soul and it was so precious, I put it right in the middle. And you saw it. What did you do about it? I just heard it. But I went on and carried on and thought, well, if somebody else told me that's all right, you've got to see it for yourself. You can't stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, well, David King said I could do that. And, and God saying, well, sorry, David King was wrong. Or anybody else for that matter. This is because it's something that's personal. You've got to see it. So there's a liberty in the questioning and discussions that we should have as a people together, that we should be able to converse and to look at the Scriptures together and see why do we do these things. And if it's not in the Word of God, if it's not able to be uh, explained, then we need to discuss it. And we have a means, maybe... Some might think a cumbersome means uh, of where these things can be brought to conference and discussed, if it's felt that there's something that needs changing. In Psalm fifty-one, <coughs> always <coughs> managed to bring a psalm into it uh, because the capability. That God's given us um, is, is there that we should desire truth. And Psalm 51 and 6 says, Thou you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden parts, you will make me know wisdom. I'll read that again. You know the desire, you have a desire for truth in the innermost being. <coughs> And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Do you believe that? You will make me know wisdom. Why? Why are any? Why is it that we're all so a bit thick? Why are we not all wise? <coughs> because God's offering it, and there must be some restriction that's causing us and hindering us from being wise Christians. Because it's a desire of God as He implants the truth into us that in our innermost being, in the soul, that we He will make us know wisdom. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's the type of heart that God wants because we go back again to James and it says that we should receive that with humility. So again, that I think is, is highlighting the fact it's not of us. We receive it with humility. So whether you're like my father is a the 14-year-old uneducated guy who is able to understand scripture because that is evidence of the implanted word taking root in his soul. Or whether you're somebody that's gone through university and he got great Levels of high education it doesn't matter because the things of God are given by God and it doesn't we're all on a level playing field here and it's got to be the desire in our heart and the understanding as we look in the mirror what do we see do we see the God given truth the God given seed that's put in us the word of truth that's given us that allows us to develop this That is what I think James is saying here. That is what the psalmist was getting at in the innermost being. Such a heart appreciates Christ and moves us to be affected by it. We can sometimes point fingers and it's wrong to do that. By by their works shall ye know them is what the scriptures teach. Sometimes we, we look at well, who's, how many seats are being filled, who's interested, uh, who's attending, who are these people. Sometimes we get into that, keep looking in the mirror. And I think these things are better dealt with by example than they are by harsh words. And hopefully people will see if they see the action of doers who are in all humility receiving the things of God and acting on them and living them, then maybe those that we might like to be very quick to criticise and be critical of will actually be drawn. Drawn to Christ, not to us. Be a doer not just a hearer here we pray